We are nearing Easter, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do something special as we prepare for Easter. Um, as we get ready for the, um, for the big day, and it is the big day, um, we have to understand that before Easter, before Jesus rose, he first died, right? And before he died, uh, it had to escalate. Can you think, think about this with me? How did it escalate? That's what we're going to discuss for the next couple of weeks. In fact, we're calling the next three Sundays, cutting today, Journey to the Cross. And then in three weeks, we'll actually start our uh, Easter weekend. But for the next couple of weeks, journey to the cross. Here's why this matters. Did you ever wonder how come Jesus was so popular and also so hated? How did it get to escalate to where they were crucifying him? I mean, if you went to the outskirts of Jerusalem, and even many in Jerusalem, people loved Jesus. He made the bread and fish multiply. He, he fed people. He healed the sick. He did some amazing stuff. And yet, the religious crowd hated Jesus, didn't they? The devout religious crowd. And there was a divide. Now, there were way more people who loved what Jesus was doing than there were people who opposed him. But the people who opposed him, the religious elite, they were the ones in control. You see, Rome kind of ruled the world in general at that time. But Rome allowed local people to have their own self-governance answering to Rome. And Jerusalem and, and the Jewish people at that time were, were kind of controlled by and led under Rome by the religious community, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin. And so that crowd hated Jesus. You know why? Because he didn't play, he didn't play by their rules. He did things differently, didn't he? He, um, he just... Some people just, I mean, religious people are great at wanting to use religion to control others, to consolidate their own power, their own importance. It's a place where a lot of stupid things happen in the name of God. And Jesus came down to the religious people of that day, the God crowd of that day, and said, I'm not playing that game. I'm here to bring the hope of God that you've lost sight of to the people that you overlook or look down upon. And I'm here to do something different. And he wasn't such a, they were very nationalistic and they were very, a lot of things that Jesus just didn't play that game. He just served and brought hope to others. And I bring all that up because of this reason. I bring that up because I want you to understand that, that while the people loved him, that some of the religious did not, and there was an opposition going on. There was an opposition going on. So how did it escalate to the point where the crowds at Passover, when Jesus was to become the Passover, right? That's what Jesus did. He became the sacrifice promised on Calvary when Jesus said, um, when it was said that, um, uh, in ancient times, they celebrated Passover because it was the coming of, out of slavery in Egypt and how that the Jewish people were kind of celebrating their independence day at, at Passover when they were freed from slavery. And they were brought all the way to uh, the promised land. But Passover was also a spiritual mark when the Messiah would come be the sacrifice. And at Passover, Jesus would be uh, crucified. So it's coming. How did it get from people loved him but the religious didn't love him Two, the crowds were yelling, crucify him. That's the point of the journey to the cross for the next few couple weeks. We're going to tell some stories. Now today, at the end of our story, we're going to do what we usually do. We're going to pray and ask you to have some quiet time in your seat to pray. And after you pray, and we are quiet for a couple minutes to together as we do every week, we're going to have a song 
to kind of bring us out of that moment. And then I'm going to come back up here and take a few minutes to tell you about, kind of cast some vision and tell you some special things we're doing and ask for your help with Easter. But for today, let's tell a story. And it's a simple story today because it's going to take us into next week and into the next week as all these stories will build to the cross. Here's why. Spiritually speaking, the cross happened because God ordained it to happen. Practically speaking, events brought a catalyst to the forefront. Events took place that pushed the narrative forward from Jesus being loved by many, hated by some, to where they're saying crucify him. We're going to see those events in three beautiful stories. And today is very simple. Just one simple idea and a story that moves us closer to the cross as we get ready for Easter. Here's the story. It's in John chapter 11. And we'll begin the chapter in the very first verse. John chapter 11 and verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, I want you to notice a couple things before we go on. I'm going to pause throughout the story and kind of give you some background or show some things in the verses. First of all, Bethany is where this, this, these three kids live. They were adults now. They were siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Bethany was a suburb, sort of, of as we would call suburbs, of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was kind of the main city, the capital city, if you please, of Judea. And outside of Jerusalem, there were smaller towns like Bethlehem that was nearby. Or Bethany was a nearby town. These are just little towns on the outskirts of the city. Suburbs, if you please. And just like today, some people, there was a lot of money in the city and there was a lot of big business in the city, but there was also a lot of problems in the city. And some people were able to live outside of the city and have the best of both worlds in the suburban areas, and Bethany was a well-off area. In fact, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were well-off people. They were people, we're going to see this in a different week. These are people who are mentioned several times in Scripture, and they had means. They were people of means and money. And they um, were friends with Jesus, and they were also friends with a lot of people in Jerusalem. We'll see later that people in the city came out to support them through a tough time. And they also obviously took care of Jesus. They believed in him. They, they were close to him. But these people lived in the city of Bethany. Verse 2 says this, This is the Mary, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Now that's important because that story helps play into our journey to the cross in a future week. So you're going to want to hold on to that one. We're going to come back to it later because it, it triggers some other big events that happen. But this is the Mary who would later pour expensive perfume on the Lord's feet, wiping them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. That short sentence right there, I want us to pause and notice a couple, a couple things from it. First of all, notice that they called Jesus Lord. In other words, a lot of people of the day thought of Jesus in different terms. They thought that he was an amazing miracle worker, right? Because he, heal, he, he made food multiply. Like, that's a pretty cool trick, magician. He was a, a miracle worker. Or he was somebody who 
uh, healed sick. He had a special anointing on himself. They referred to him as teacher. Or they referred to him as rabbi. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus saw him as something more. He was Lord, like the disciples. They realized that he was the promised Messiah. Now, they did not fully understand, no one fully understood when Jesus said he was going to die and rise again, what that all meant yet. But as much as anyone understood that who he was, these friends did. And they, the sisters sent word and said, Lord, we know who you are, you're the Lord. Lord, your dear friend, don't miss that, your dear friend is very sick. It is, there's not a lot of people in the Bible that are referred to as Jesus' friend. Jesus one time tells his disciples before his crucifixion that you are all my friends if you do whatever I command you. But the word friend in Jesus wasn't used very often. But apparently the girls sent the message because an accurate statement was that Lazarus and Mary and Martha, these were friends of Jesus and Lazarus was his dear friend. Now, Lazarus was not one of his 12 disciples, but outside of his initial 12, his 12 pack, he had a dear friend in Lazarus, someone very special to Jesus. And the girl said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. In other words, he is in trouble. Very sick then, they didn't have the, the medical technology that we have today to do all the things that we can do today. Very sick meant he's in trouble. In fact, by the time the word would reach Jesus, it could be critical. Because Jesus was not in Judea. There were people in Judea, who, the religious uh, powerful ones, trying to kill him and his disciples or arrest him. So he is outside the city at the time doing miracles. So by the time the word reaches him, this is already old news. Who knows how bad Lazarus could be by the time he hears the word? They had to send a messenger. There was no email. There were no text messages or FaceTime. By the time that the word got to Jesus, a very sick person could be a very dead person. But the word came to Jesus where he was, Lazarus, your dear friend, is very sick. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. That must have sounded very reassuring to the people who were there. To the disciples who were there saying, oh good, because we were worried because that would be very traumatic because these are dear friends. But Jesus said, oh no, it will not end in death. Now this is the time when if you read the story a little further, you might think Jesus either lied or Jesus just got it wrong. Does Jesus ever get it wrong? Because we're going to see that Lazarus dies. He did die, in fact. So what do you mean? Like, he, he, he really missed this one. He whiffed on this pitch. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. But it did. His sickness ended in death. No, Jesus said it happened for the glory of God. So that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Remember that phrase. Remember that phrase, it will not end in death. We're going to come back to that later. So they stay put. Verse 5, so although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. He didn't say, i got to hurry back because by the time I got the message, it's, it's, it's already getting late. 
he stayed put. And that's the big deal, because even if he would have left the minute he heard the word, it may have already been too late, because again, the word got to him slowly. And on top of that, he couldn't just call an Uber. He couldn't just hop into his Tesla. He was kind of in a spot where getting back to Bethany from where he was was going to be a journey. And yet, instead of rushing urgently back, he stayed where he was for the next two days. This is interesting. And then at the end of those two days, finally, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now we're going to skip the next few verses because this is a lot of reading today. But let me tell you, this statement was shocking to the disciples. They did not want to go back to Judea because people were trying to get them killed in Judea, the uh, people who opposed Jesus' message. In fact, when they first heard that Lazarus was sick, they probably thought, oh no, two reasons. Oh no, he's sick because we like him. And oh no, he's sick because we're going to go back and get ourselves in trouble now. And when Jesus said, oh no, it's not going to end in death, they're probably like, woo, yes, because we don't want him to die and we don't want to go die. So yay, everything's fine. But now Jesus is like a couple days later saying, hey, let's go back into Judea. And so in the verses that follow, the disciples kind of argue. They're like, Lord, what? No. There's enemies over there. Are you kidding me? Go back to Judea? And then Jesus does this thing where he kind of goes off on a tangent about there's so many hours in the day to work and God's glory will be done. It kind of like a preacher does to you when you, you ask him a question and then he goes on this whole spiritual rant and you're like, what does that even have to do with what I asked you, you know? He's just like talking and God talked to them. And a minute later, they're like, yeah, but what about staying here? And Jesus finally says, well, Lazarus is asleep. Well, good, he needs his rest. No, you don't understand. Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad that I wasn't there, so that God's glory can be shown. To which Thomas, we all know Thomas, one of the disciples, Thomas actually says out loud, well, let's go back and die with him. We pick up the story and Jesus returns to Bethany. Verse 17, when Jesus arrives at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. It was a typical process. The embalming techniques were not like they are today where someone could die and there could be several days of between the death and the, the viewing and the embalming makes them preserved well, the body, even though their soul's not there. But in this case, embalming didn't do that much. You could perfume up a corpse, but deterioration and, and rot would happen pretty quick. So typically when someone died, they would bring the body and lay them on a couch or a bed in the house that they lived in, and the family would come by or the, in the family's house, people would come by and mourn and kind of pay their final respects there. they bring food or whatever. And then that body would be buried that same day. And then the family would go on to grieve for the next month or so in their culture. So Jesus is told when he comes back to town, Lazarus has already been gone for four days. He's long gone. You missed the party, it's over. Verse 18, Bethany, I mentioned this earlier, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. They came to console the girls as they lost their dear brother. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. If you know any of the other stories about these two girls, you'll know 
that they were very, they were sisters, but they were very different. Perhaps you have a sister and you two are very different. You know how this goes. Same family, same bloodlines, different personalities, right? These girls were different. You can see it in other stories that we're not going to get to today because they're mentioned like three times in the scripture. But in this particular story, we see that as they're grieving their brother and the word comes in that Jesus has arrived four days after their brother died, that Mary makes the decision to stay in the house because she doesn't even want to leave. She doesn't want to see Jesus or anybody. She wants to stay in the house. But Martha says, like she, like she was known to do, responsibly, I better go out and meet him. So Martha goes out, and she says this in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever felt that way before? Like, in prayer, God, if you, were just, if you were just paying attention, if you'd have just been in the middle of my situation, this bad thing wouldn't have happened. God, where were you? And Martha's like, Lord, if you just would have been here. Look, I'm a believer. I believe you could heal anybody. I'm not one of those faithless ones. You, he'd be alive if you, would have just, if you would have just been here. But even now, she said, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. This is a big statement. There was a lot of, of, con, there was a lot of division amongst the religious community. Again, the religious community had, like, I think like is true about most, much of it today, Back then, they had gone so far off the truth of God's word that they had, they didn't even recognize Jesus when he showed up. I don't know if we would today either. They were so far off point. And one of the debates amongst the religious elite as they ignored the masses that needed hope, the religious elite debated, they debated, is there a resurrection? The Sadducees said, oh no, there's no resurrection. We just, God honors those who are good now and curses those who are bad and then we all die. And the Pharisees, which are a bigger crowd, the Pharisees were bigger, but the, but the Sadducees were more powerful and richer. And the Pharisees said, oh no, there is a resurrection one day. And it was a debate that would go on for a long time. And Jesus would kind of put an exclamation point on what it was. And Jesus speaks up for resurrection. He says, your brother will rise again. Martha thinks she knows what he means. So she says, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. In other words, at some point in the future, we believe that there's a resurrection, and in that last day, though his spirit may go to be with God early, there'll be another bodily resurrection in the last day. Yes, Lord, we know he will rise someday. Yes, I know, I'll see him again. Yes, I know. He will rise when everyone else rises. But Jesus didn't mean that. So verse 25, don't miss this now. Then Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. And the life. Now, it's so easy to glaze over that, but you can't. You can't glaze over that. This is one of those big, bold, audacious statements that Jesus was known to make. Like, Jesus said things that were so crazy that the religious people who knew how God worked in their minds would call him a heretic or a blasphemer for saying the things he would say. He would look at the Old Testament writings and say, This is what the law said, but I say unto you, as if somehow he had more authority over the law. Or he would claim, I am, which is the name of Jehovah God. Or he would say things that were just unheard of 
He'd give new commandments. He, I mean, he was bold in ways that, that we, 2,000 years later, don't even think about. But he made a lot of shocking statements because he was trying to tell people, I'm not just another teacher of another religion, of another guy that will live and die and go write down my sayings and, and add me to the many religions of the world that have great teachers. Jesus is saying, I am something different. I am the prophesied Messiah come from God to be the Savior of the world, and you need to know it. And we, and we can't, listen, this is why we can't play middle ground on Jesus. Jesus is either who he said he was, or he was crazy, or a liar, or a dangerous man. There's not only a, any middle ground room. He didn't claim to be just another guy with a good message. He claimed to be something a whole lot more, which makes him right or very, very, very wrong. And in this context, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Wow. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he makes a statement, anyone, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. In other words, what did we say earlier? This will not end in death. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And then he says this, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Well, that sounds kind of weird because they do die. Yeah, but it's kind of more like a physical death passing over into, through the valley of the shadow of death, isn't it? They'll never really die. And he says to her, do you believe this, Martha? Her answer was great. Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who, the one who has come into the world from God. Yes, I believe that. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So now Mary goes out. So Mary immediately went to him. Now Mary goes out of the house, and because Mary had a lot of people from the city who were there to visit her in her grief, they saw her leave, thought she was going to the grave. They left the house with her, and they found Jesus waiting for her outside. And they have a conversation, and it says, When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Martha said. Grief-stricken sisters, Lord, if you just would have been here, this would be different. My brother would not have died. The people come around and the crowd who comes out of the house sees him and they start to whisper and murmur. Some of them are from Jerusalem and Jesus becomes a little angered in his spirit as he, as he sees that. Finally, he says, take me to the place where he's buried. And they head over. And again, this was not a poor family. Sometimes when people were poor, they had very different kinds of burials. Please understand this. You know, burial then, it was, it was very different. First of all, if you died a criminal, they threw, or very, very poor, they would throw you into a big pile of bodies and burn your body, and you'd just be in a common place of burning bodies called Gehenna. If you were not disposed to be part of that pile of criminals or refuse of society and just in a mass burning once you die to get rid of the bodies, you might be privately burned and buried your ashes or bury your body in the ground somewhere. Not everyone had sepulchers. Not everyone had gravestones, right? This was for people who had the means to do that. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus did. And he was laid in a grave. He had a stone covering 
the tomb that his body was laid in because they could do that. And Jesus said, bring me there. And when they arrived, Mary begins to cry. Martha begins to weep. The people around them are in tears. And Jesus is standing there and something very powerful is said next. In John eleven thirty five, 35, it says, then Jesus wept. That's it. No explanation, no statement about why he wept. It just says, then Jesus wept. Why? Well, people have speculated through the years why he wept. Sometimes, it's, we mentioned this earlier, sometimes it's because maybe the people didn't believe about what he was about to do. But that, that doesn't necessarily add up because, first of all, it shows he was angry in a couple of verses about the unbelief. And elsewhere he was angry at the unbelief around him, but he didn't weep. Maybe that's why. Perhaps he wept because, as we saw earlier, this was his very dear friend, Lazarus. You know, later on, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews tells us that, the, that Jesus serves as our high priest who understands what we're going through. He's not disconnected from us because when he was in our shoes, he was in all ways tempted and tested and hurt like we do. He experienced loss and weariness and sadness and setback. And so he understands what we're going through. So Jesus is weeping because a dear friend is in the ground. Maybe he's weeping because he's sad to think about, though he knows he'll live again, though he knows what he's about to do. In that moment, Jesus felt what you feel when you stand outside the tomb of a loved one and he felt the pain of grief. Or perhaps he wept because he saw Mary and Martha weeping and he didn't worry for Lazarus because as we know by faith, when a person dies in Christ, <laughs> don't weep for them. They're better off than ever. They wouldn't come back if they could. It's the best ever. But maybe he was weeping because Mary and Martha were saying goodbye and their world was going on the same as always, minus a brother, and he saw their pain and he wept for their suffering. I don't know. Maybe it's something else. All we know is that Jesus was moved to compassion and he wept. And that's not something you'll see in the scriptures of the story of his life elsewhere. But Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. The people nearby were like you watching the sad movie where you're sad about what happens or you're sad to see the person who is hurting over what happens. And they're like, oh, oh, look at him. See how much he loved him. They're sad for Jesus. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? There's always that person in the crowd when everyone else is kind of emotional or, t or on the same page. They're sitting back there saying, if you only showed up on time, you could have done better than this. You know, there's always that person too. So they're all talking, and Jesus kind of gets stirred and a little angry in his spirit again, it says, after that. Finally, Jesus says four words that, you, that are very unique. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. Those are four words you'll probably never hear said at a grave site. Right? This is not like, this is, no one says that at the, at, the, at the cemetery. Not then, not now. Unless they're teen pranksters trying to cause trouble. Like, roll, what? Roll the stone aside. Who says that? In fact, Martha, his sister, the dead man's sister, protested. She says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. She's like, look, 
I mean, we did the best we could to perfume the body, all that kind of stuff for the day after. We put them in there and put the, we put, closed the stone because, ew, the smell's going to be terrible. I love the King James translation here. I don't, these are the moments where I miss the King James a little bit when we use easier to read ones. Because the King James says, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh, okay? Something that maybe, maybe many of you men have been told by your wife or something in the past, you know. He stinketh, man. And so she's like, Lord, don't roll the stone away. No, it'll be gross. It'll be bad. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they shrugged their shoulders, so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. He's praying a prayer out loud for the sake of the audience. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Powerful words. Three, three more unusual words. If you don't usually hear somebody at the cemetery saying, roll the stone aside, you certainly don't hear them saying to the body, come on out. But Jesus is doing very unusual things right now. He says, Lazarus, come out. And this is, this is an exclamation point on who he was. This is back to his earlier statement that he is the resurrection and the life. He was saying, to the, he was saying in that moment, watch the power of God. I'm not just a teacher or a rabbi. I am who I said I was. Watch that death has no power. I am the resurrection. And the same voice of God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who stood on the deck of the ship. Remember the story? When the wind and waves were beating the ship and the experienced fishermen on the ship were so afraid because the storm was so severe for their abilities that they cried out in desperation. And yet while the experienced fishermen panicked, Jesus looked at the storm and said, peace be still, and boom, it was still. The same voice of God that can stand at the beginning of all of our world as we know it and say, let there be light, and boom, there is light. Jesus stands at that grave and he says out loud, Lazarus, come out. I heard a person one time say in a message that they believe he had a preface with the word Lazarus because if he would have only said, come out, every grave in the place would have opened up and people would have become walking out. But Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And if it wasn't weird enough for everyone standing there at that moment, it says, And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his, head, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Can you picture? Can you picture? I mean, this would be a great story for the end of October in some ways. I mean, out, I mean, roll the stone away, come out. Here comes the body of the guy they just put there, wrapped up in his headcloth and grave clothes. Like he just woke up from a nap, just walking out. Like, can you imagine the, I mean, I know it's just a story now, but can you imagine the, I mean, seriously, the jaws dropping, like, what? Just the utter shock. And here's Jesus. Jesus told them, well, guys, what are you waiting for? Unwrap him. Let him go. You want to talk about powerful. You, you want to talk about game changing. Like, if you didn't believe in the guy before, if you thought, well, sure, he fed a bunch of people with a few fish and bread, loaves of bread, but that's just good magic right there. Yeah, he healed a lot of people. The force was strong with him. We understand. You want to talk about a game-changing moment to your faith? 
Someone who is dead. I don't mean like in the past someone kind of died or was about to die or died, but then he walks in and brought him back right away. So were they really dead when he revived them quickly? Or were they just mostly dead? I don't know. But in this case, four days. And Jesus walks up and says, Lazarus, come out. You want to talk about game-changing faith. In fact, that's what happens next in verse number 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. These were people who did not already believe. The ones from Jerusalem who came to comfort her, who were whispering while he was there. And they're like, oh, snap. Out of the grave came Lazarus, and now they believed. Now more people are believing the message of Jesus. But some, there's always the but some, isn't there? But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Without turning to the next verse, let me tell you what happens next, right? They go to the Pharisees in Jerusalem and tell them what what just happened with Lazarus' resurrection. What happens next is the Pharisees are like, wow, that's awesome. The Pharisees were like standing ovation. They're like, this changes everything. We all believe on Jesus now. The Pharisees were like, man, this is the best news ever. Let's throw a party because we're happy for Lazarus and we're happy for his family. And that's good news for all of us if Jesus can do that kind of stuff. Yay, party time. Bring him in. Let's have a celebration. That's not what happened. Okay. They told the Pharisees, verse 47, Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. Always worry about anybody has got a group of high council people. Can't be good, right? The high council is gathered. And they said, what are we going to do? They asked each other. What are we going to, what do you mean what are we going to do? Party like it's 1999, I don't know. What are you going to do? Yeah, they said, this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone, soon everyone will believe on him. Oh, no. They're like, if this continues, I mean, yeah, sure, people, you know, like Lazarus is alive. I guess that's good. But gasp the horror. Worse than that, people are going to believe in this guy. We wouldn't want that now, would we? What are we going to do? If we go on like this, if we allow him to go on like this, by the way, if we allow him, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. And then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Time out. These are the people, they didn't care about Rome. They wanted a Messiah to come, be a military savior and kick Rome out. But Jesus didn't come to be what they wanted him to come to be, so now they rejected him. But now they're going to say, well, you know, we're just worried about Rome getting upset and taking our temple and kicking us out. Huh? Now you're worried about that? That sounds like an excuse to me to get rid of the guy you don't like. Isn't isn't that what humans do? Don't we all do that? We have to find a reason to excuse our bad behavior. Well, you know, the real reason I'm doing this is because I'm concerned about this. We always spin all the bad ideas and the anger and the bad reactions and the things we do by finding a reason even if it doesn't make sense. So like, well, you know, we could lose everything to Rome if this keeps up. So that's our, that's our reason to be upset that someone's living again who was dead. <laughs> okay. Verse 49, Caiaphas, Caiaphas who was the high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. Don't you love it when the guy in the group is like, y'all don't know nothing. That's church group. People talk that way to each other, I guess. 
You don't realize, he said, you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. In other words, what he was saying is, it's better that this one guy, Jesus, we kill him instead of like Rome comes in because somehow this is going to cause Rome to come in and destroy all of us. It's better that we kill him. Here's our reason. So that we don't all perish at the hands of Rome because of this horrible thing he's doing of raising the dead or something. I don't know. So he's, he's, he's making an excuse to have Jesus put to death. But, but what he didn't know he was doing is he was prophesying. Because even though he was not a godly man, he was a religious man, but as the high priest, he was actually prophesying without meaning to. And saying something that was very true and not the way he meant it. Look at the verse again. He didn't mean it this way, but isn't this true about Jesus? He said, you don't realize it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. To, 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 to die for our sins so we don't have to. He's making a powerful statement about the gospel even though he wasn't trying to. In fact, it says that in the next verse. He did not say this of his own, on his own, but as a high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation, and not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. As in, that's you and me today, isn't it? 2,000 years later across the world, in the name of Jesus. He died for that reason. And so, from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. They just wanted him gone. They wanted to snap their fingers and he would just disappear. And so, begins the endgame. The stage is being set. The stakes are raised. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, a couple things happened here. Yes, Lazarus lived. People saw it. The word spread. People believed. And the opposition increased. Good came out of it in a big way, and opposition came out of it. By the way, whenever something good is done, expect opposition to match. Whenever something good is done for God, expect that while the bigness of that takes place, the enemy will also stir up something big to match because the enemy never likes it when something powerful is happening for good and for God. And so while this, raised, while this was a catalyst for people to believe, it became a catalyst for the enemies to say, kill this man, Jesus. What a crazy, crazy reaction. Let's wrap up with a couple more verses. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Again, their cel Passover, as I said earlier, was kind of their July 4th, their Independence Day. It was the day they celebrated when they were set free from Egypt and slavery and brought out. But as we would see through Jesus, it would be also a symbol of Jesus who would be the Passover sacrifice for sins, which is a whole different conversation. But it's almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And so many people from all over the country are arriving in Jerusalem several days early. Why? So that they can go through the purification ceremony before the Passover begins. But not just for that reason. If you know the history of the culture at the time, people would come pouring in. And again, it was a long journey without modern technology. They'd come to the Jerusalem for Passover and sometimes would stay as far as till Pentecost. They'd come pouring in the city for these festivals. 
And they'd have to arrive early to get the motel rooms or the Verbos or the Airbnbs. They'd have to find a place to lodge and settle down and get themselves unpacked and then begin their purification ceremonies because this was a big, the city was packed out for Passover time. And people are beginning to arrive right now and the stage is being set and the stakes are being raised and the crucifixion is going to be here soon and the resurrection is going to be here soon, but it's not quite here yet. They kept looking for Jesus. People who were arriving kept looking for Jesus. But as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for, he won't come for Passover, will he? He's not going to show up. I won't want to see the guy. I heard about Lazarus. Is he coming? He ain't coming, is he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so that they could arrest him. And we'll end the story there and pick up our journey to the cross next week. But for today, thanks to God's love for us that was demonstrated through Christ's sacrifice, we know something beautiful. That when this life is over, as we saw in the verse earlier, it will not end in death. Those were not accidental words that Jesus spoke, were they? Because if they were, it looked like he was wrong because Lazarus did die. Oh, but it didn't end in death. He rose again. Oh, but wait. He'll die later. You all know something that I know, don't you? Lazarus may have been resurrected that day in the story we just read. But Lazarus died again sometime. Like, he's not still around 2,000 years later. There's not some place out in the Middle East today where Lazarus is like, eh, back in the day, I once died. I mean, he's, he died again. We don't know when he died again, but he eventually died like people do. That's the mortality rate. It's amazingly like one-to-one. People die, you know, people live, people die. So at some point, he died again. Maybe he, was, he got sick a couple years later and died. Maybe he lived to a ripe old age and died older. Maybe he had a chariot race accident and he, I, I don't know. Somewhere along the line, Lazarus dies. But Jesus' statement still rings true at the very beginning of the chapter. This will not end in death. That's our hope. That though our bodies experience death, and they will, for one reason or another, we have a blessed hope of something that's better, something that we can't comprehend is better because we've not seen it, and so it's fearful and unknown, and the passing over is fearful to many of us, and so we, we, and we know what we want here, we know what we embrace and love here, so we want to hang on to it. But I, but I believe by faith that the minute we cross over into what's waiting and is no longer a mystery or a fear, we would not come back if we, if we could. But here we mourn those who go ahead of us. Here we grieve those we say goodbye to for now. I did two funerals this last week. And, oh, the pain was very real for the people who were there. The funeral directors and me who've done so many, you know, we don't know the people sometimes or we do, but you've seen so many. But for the family that's grieving at that funeral, this is very, very, very real. Very, very close to home. Very personal. And we all go through grief of losing loved ones. We all go through grief of our own illnesses and our own mortality. At some point you start thinking, how long will I live? What will happen to me? And it can cause anxiety or panic. But I want to tell all of us today, faith in Christ compels us to believe that whatever happens to you or to your loved ones or to us someday, it will not end in death. And here's why. Listen, because of what Jesus did for us, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he said, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. Think about that now. Don't let it be small. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe on me 
will never die. The past from death into life. Because of Jesus, because of him, we have put our faith and trust and believe that you may experience death, but it will not end in death. You may experience death, but it will not end in death. I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on eagle's wings before my God, fall on my knees and rise. I will rise. And I hope that today, as we move into the journey to the cross for the next couple of weeks, you'll have a confidence in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the resurrection that he is and that he accomplished for us.